Robert. So, if you were a ghost, right? Just like get into the get into the headspace. You're feeling spooky. Hold on. Yeah. Okay, great. You got your booze ready? Ooh. Oh, my jokes aren't that bad. <sighs> Save me from this bullying. Anyhow, so you're wearing the spooky mind space. We're feeling ghostly. Where would your spirit be bound? Ooh, um... <laughs> uh, good question. Um, and I, I've got an answer. This is for all my actor friends. If you know, you know. I think I would be bound to Pearl Studios in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, Lord. It's literally my second home. I Yes, it is. Especially it is. in the winter. It is my second fucking home. I get it. I'm there a lot, too. Since you're there a lot, I'm there. <laughs> that checks out for you. That is that is a that, that's the correct answer. I can't think of a better place for you to be. Yeah, I would I would be the one messing with the curtains during auditions and <laughs> playing haunted tunes on the piano. You just hear me belting in the distance. Um, Hitting that big mix. Yep. You know, not a little mix, big mix. Yeah, you know, just like, just like the moaning myrtle of um, Pearl Studios, just like in the bathroom, <laughs> along with the nervous poops. Um, what about you? I don't know a lighthouse. That sounds nice. You have you been to a lighthouse? Well, Is there twice. a reason why you? No, want I just want to be. I just want to. I just want to hang out on the, like a rocky shore. Okay, you know, like live your best death. I if guess. I, like it's where would I be bound? It'd be this chair. Uh, but where would I want to be bound? A lighthouse. It sounds nice. It just sounds like a good afterlife, like being a little uh, Annabelle Lee type. Okay. That's all. I, I just want to be a girl in Poe. I want to be a Poe story when I die. You know, that's it. I appreciate the simplicity. Yeah, yeah. No, it just sounds like a like a nice spiritual retirement. I love it when we ask the questions and we go two different directions with it. I don't know where <laughs> I'd want to haunt. Like I don't know, like the Maldives. Um, <laughs> can you feel warmth as a ghost? I think canonically, no, right? But I can swim, right? No. But You're I, incorporeal. Can I drink pina coladas? No. You've seen Casper? What is the point of being a ghost then? Fucking with people or just, you know, like you're stuck. So you might as well be in some place that's like... Sweet, sweet revenge. That's what is the plus side of being a ghost. Yeah. Anyway, hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Crimson Peak? Sure do. Assuming you mean the 2015 gothic romance horror film directed by none other than Guillermo del Toro? Oh, yes. Our weird uncle. We love him so much. We love him. I'm Nicole. I am Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Absolutely correct. And welcome to October 2021. Whoop, whoop. It's our time. and Two as we, years. Exactly. And as we announced on our Instagram, the theme for this month is ghost stories. Yeah. Spooky, so, spooky ghost stories. So what you can expect from this month is some nice extra special content, some bonus episodes, some videos, some TikToks, some silliness. And we're just really excited to be here to celebrate with you guys. So in case you're a new listener on this spookiest month, 
We're going to be doing our normal format, which means Topher's going to take us through uh-huh. who made this thing, shout out the cast and crew, and then yep. I will take us through the plot. And then in the third installment, we will analyze said plot. So without further ado, Topher, who made this thing? Uh, the amazing, adorable, just about perfect Guillermo del Toro. Agreed. Uh, he co-wrote this movie. He did direct it, obviously, and he uh, co-wrote it with Matthew Robbins. It was a spec script that they sold to Universal in like 06, I want to say. Uh, even though this movie only came, uh, ended up coming out nine years later. Right. Because um, he had other projects getting in the way, as always happens. Guillermo del Toro is the busiest man who gets very little work. <laughs> He's just so busy making beautiful looking films. He, it's always gorgeous. Everything he makes is just fucking perfect. We have as our stars Mia Wasikowska as Edith Cushing, our protagonist jessica chastain missing her trademark red hair here as lucille sharp she is raven haired yeah in a very terrible way (laughs) yeah it's not great tom hiddleston as thomas sharp charlie hunnam as dr alan mcmichael who we both kept thinking was the guy from uh uh, saturday night live and someone great alex uh what's his name oh 100 percent. alex moffat yeah um i saw him once on the upper west side he must live there I'm, I'm assuming so. Yeah. I feel like the entire cast of SNL lives on the Upper West Side. Makes sense. It's a short commute. Yeah. Jim Beaver as Carter Cushing. Mr. Carter Cushing, the steel man. <laughs> as like a very much like a, a Andrew Carnegie type, right? Mm-hmm. Bern Gorman as the investigator Holly. Uh, I was trying to place where I knew him from. Where do you think he, Where do you think I ended up finding him? I don't know. One of those shows you watch that I don't? Nope. Game of Thrones. Where in Game of Thrones? He's the guy who does the insurrection in the Night's Watch, north of the Wall. When they kill the the father rapist dude. I uh, mean, I remember that happening, but, you know, I can't confirm nor deny whether that was him. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) He's the guy who keeps, keeps, his name is like Tanner or something like that. He's the one who keeps like bragging about how good he is with a knife. Sure. Yeah. So like every other character in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to find an identifier unless they're like in the main <laughs> 10 characters. Fair enough. And then because it's a Del Toro film, you gotta have, you gots to gots to have Doug Jones. Is that a staple? Oh, I, yeah. I yeah. That. Doug Jones is like one of the, he's the creature actor. Like him and Ron Perlman are the two staples of Del Toro because they both come from creature work. Gotcha. Um, now they've also both done a lot of live action since then, but they are the ones you look to when you're looking for someone who can do a body. Like, like how Andy Serkis is everybody's motion capture guy, Mm -hmm. Doug Jones, and to a certain extent, less so these days, Ron Perlman are your guys to go be in costume and like heavy creature makeup. Job title. Right? What do you do for a living? I'm a creature. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Creature work. We work as creatures. What? <laughs> but like Doug Jones played um, in Pan's Labyrinth, the uh, the no eye. I forget the name of the character, but the one with no eyes, but the, actually the eyes are in the hands and it does like this. Right. Like all real monsters. Yeah. Kind of. But Yo, did more anyone terrifying. else love that show as a kid? And that's, when they, that's when they knew that they were weird. Yeah. That's when I knew that I was weird. Yeah. That's fair. Like that show was fucking dope. Obsessed. Correct. <laughs> Obsessed. I need to find it. I need to find it's not 
Like, I've looked on, you know, whenever they do, like, the old Nickelodeon, um, like, marathons, like, sometimes they'll do, like, a Rugrats marathon or they'll throw on, like, Rocket Power or something. It's never all real monsters. It's never Rocket Power either. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. I've I've never seen Rocket Power since it went off air. Really? Ever. Well, Rocket Power was um, streaming for a while. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. What? I watched like the whole thing. You have Shit. to you have to go on YouTube for All Real Monsters. You have to go underground with that huh. shit. You have to go to like Reddit. Like you can't find it and it's makes me mad. Nickelodeon, if you're listening, you have a angry customer. <laughs> Cuz I give you so much money. Yeah, um, a whole 0 dollars a month. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so Doug Jones also was Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. Um, I want to be a sapien. You are a sapien. <laughs> Like, that's literally what you are. I'm a homo. Sapien. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had too much allergy medicine. I'm a little loopy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a hard time finding the thread here. Or threading the needle. I don't understand what I'm saying either. I've had two double espressos. But yeah, he also was the fish man in Shape of Water. Sure. I like, didn't see that, but sure. Yeah. I mean, they only won like a bunch of Oscars, but one of the few times other than Bong Joon-ho, it's actually been deserved. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, and he's he played the, uh, he was in the What We Do in the Shadows series um, as the one of the big vampire dudes. Um, yeah, so he's just like the guy you go to when you need to put someone in just so much makeup. I hope he's got that 10-step Korean skincare, honey. <laughs> he looks like it. He looks great. Keeping him alive, you know? Yeah. Skin is thriving. Skin is thriving. All of that um, spirit gum. So much of it. Just (laughs) everywhere. All over him. Spirit gum and latex. Exfoliator. (laughs) Uh, The score. All the music was done beautifully by Fernando Velasquez. You would know him from just about everything. He's a just, I mean, he's a composer. He's got 117 credits on IMTB. He's... Most famous, I would say, beyond this, is probably that terrible movie about the tsunami in Thailand that featured only white people. Uh, I did not see this. The Impossible? Yeah, no thank you. Um, But he also did Mama uh, with Guillermo del Toro. Um, He's done just, yeah, just an incredible amount of work. (laughs) Weirdly, the uh, Hercules movie I forgot about that starred Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I have seen that. Did you really? Yes. Huh. I did. You know, sometimes sometimes you just need to uh, watch a movie that stars The Rock, okay? That's fair. I do love the Jumanji movies. He was great in Jumanji. Very good in Jumanji. For cinematography, we had Dan Lostson, um, who got his breakthrough into America with Guillermo del Toro in Mimic, which we covered a while back. True. Um, he also shot Silent Hill. Um, he shot, da, 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 da. he shot this, he shot Shape of Water. Um, he did the second John Wick. He's doing the third John Wick. He's going to be shooting the color purple, but yeah, he's a, he's a gorgeous cinematographer. He's done some really great work that I really enjoy. Finally, for our editor, cause the editing in this is very well done. The pacing is fantastic. And the editor is who sets the pace was Bernat Villaplana who did edit Pan's Labyrinth, another very perfectly paced movie also did the, the impossible and a monster calls a monster calls. Yeah. It's a movie I keep meaning to see and I just keep not seeing it. I uh, don't know why, but it's an interesting concept to me. Basically the, the, the log line is, 
a boy seeks the help of a tree monster to cope with a single mother's terminal illness. So kind of like an allegory? Yeah, yeah. And it's got, it's Sigourney Weaver, Felicity Jones, who I adore. Also, I adore Sigourney Weaver, but I love Felicity Jones. And Liam Neeson voices the tree monster. Huh. Yeah, it seems like a really cool concept and something that would make me very sad. Yeah, it kind of seems, I get that vibe too. Yeah, I just, whenever I saw the trailer, I was like, I think this is going to be a good movie. And I just did, never got around to seeing it. It's right at two hours long, um, but it's a nice two hours. It's not like a crazy two hours by any means. Yeah, I would agree. It's, again, it's paced very well and it doesn't, re- you don't really feel, you don't really feel like there's anything that you didn't need in there. Like the story definitely starts once we get to, um, what's it called? The, um, the 20 minute mark. No, 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 no. I mean, arguably the story really starts once you get to um, Allen Allendale, right? Uh, Allerdale. Allerdale. Yeah. Um, I'm confusing because the doctor's name is Allen. Al- Allerdale. <laughs> because that's really, it, it's kind of exposition before that. It's, it's revving up to what's going to happen once you get to Crimson Peak. And right. I mean, that is the title of the movie too. Yeah. But yeah, so all of the exposition really pays off. It's not, it's... It's bloated, but not in a bad way. Yeah, exactly. It's like too much pasta bloat. Right. Like you're, you're happy with you're it. You're happy. Yeah. You're 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 fat and happy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the two hours really it keeps your attention. It goes by fairly quickly. Like it doesn't feel like a two hour movie. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It weirdly didn't perform well. I mean, it made back its budget. It made almost seventy five million on fifty five. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that is not what studios want. They want box office boom. But Del Toro's not really the guy for that in a lot of ways. Like, he's going to make back your budget, but you're not going to give him a huge budget. Like, his biggest budget, I think, still to this day is uh, uh, Pacific Rim. Really? I think so. I think Shape of Water was way less. Okay. Even though he uses, like, it's because he's effects heavy. Yeah. But the biggest, I think the biggest issue is that even though it came out in October... It was up against a bunch of PG-13 films. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, so it was up against Bridge of Spies, Goosebumps, Woodlawn, and The Martian. Yeah. All of, like, Bridge of Spies and The Martian certainly were huge films. And, like, it's very hard for a rated R film, even in October, even if it's a horror film in October, to go up against um, PG-13. Yeah, but what I what I will say about Guillermo del Toro in general is he does a really great job of kind of bridging the gap between you've got, you know, you've got your your fun fantastical Disney-esque movies whether they're produced by Disney or not mm-hmm. where, you know, we covered them uh, last year in our um video our IGTV series where we were talking about like all of the, you know, horror movies for kids. Like the, right. the Disney yeah. Channel original movies and stuff. And then, so he does a really great job of bridging the gap between that and like intense, intense, like dark and bleak horror where he still has these gothic horror elements in it, but yet it's told in a playful way where, you know, maybe maybe you're someone who isn't super into the dark gore, but yet you're you've moved past... Like Tim Burton. He, yeah, he's everything that Tim Burton thinks he is. Right. Like, it, it, Guillermo del Toro is what Tim Burton thinks Tim Burton is. Yeah. Whereas, like, Tim Burton is, like, he's... 
I I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. He's the hot topic version of Wes Anderson. Right. Very stylized. Like I haven't liked anything Tim Burton's done since Batman Returns. I I want I just, oh and Mars Attacks. I love Mars Attacks. I mean I li- I love Edward Scissorhands. Um, but. And I actually thought that the Sweeney Todd musical movie was done pretty well. I'm just so bored by Johnny Depp and Helen Alarm Carter. No, that's totally I, fair. Yeah, they just don't do anything for me. That's fair, but... I Unless mean, it's Ocean's 8. Helen Alarm Carter's fantastic in that. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. That that movie all around is just a gem. Ha, pun intended. Lol. Lol. But no, I I don't I mean also Tim Burton's a racist piece of shit, but Oh yeah, he literally said black people have no place in my aesthetic. Boo. Boo Tim Burton, boo you. And then he's like, I'm not racist, it's it's an aesthetic thing and I'm like, literally you're not you're 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 totally <laughs> missing. You're not connecting either of those dots and that is alarming. He's so sir. stupid. He's so dumb. I hate him so much. I, I struggle with it because I, I like I said, I, I do like Edward Scissorhands and I watch that movie occasionally, but I, yeah, as a person, not a fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that one of the big things that I would feel so remiss if I didn't mention is that it's not even just like the gothic and the playfulness that's with him. He really engages in a strong Latin American tradition of magical realism. Yeah, that's, that's um, true. A, a good friend of the pod, Gustavo. And I talk about that all the time because Gustavo is also a magical realist writer and is yeah. very steeped in that tradition as well, being a, Guata- a Guatemalan writer and all of that. And like, that's his, that's his thing. That's so like, yeah. So, so we, we talk about the Toro constantly just because we talk about magical realism in film. And he is the one who really, really brought that to like a Hollywood consciousness until you had his films. You really didn't have much in that vein. Yeah, and this is a really great example of um, a story that's really rooted in some form of reality and Mm -hmm. then is elevated by... You get the gothic twist, but then it's also elevated by his his imagination and his ability to add in these terrifying elements. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I I I just I was just I listening because I fully agree. Like I I, I've got nothing to add there. Yeah, I just described magical realism, but that's that's, that's exactly it. that's yeah. it. Period. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, he's God. I can't say enough good about him. But I think that's enough of us gushing about him for now. In the uh, until we get back to that, why don't you tell me what the hell happens? Okay, so we're in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> it's 1887. <laughs> we meet Edith. This is it. Is this bit gonna go on the entire time? Big Edie and Little Edie. Big Edie, Little Edie. <laughs> I don't know why they always harass us. <laughs> These terrible people. You know, we we should cover Grey Garden, so we've said it. We'll do it. We'll do it. But give me a second. We'll do it. We should do a documentary series. Anyway, um, <laughs> so like I said, we am, we're in uh, Buffalo, New York. It's 1887. I'm going to quit the podcast. We met Edith Cushing. She's an American heiress. Okay, I'm going to drop it. Um, She's the daughter of a wealthy businessman. Oh, businessman. uh, Carter Cushing. He's our Andrew Carnegie type, like we said. Yeah. He is. So one night, we've got a young Edith. She's visited by her mother's 
black disfigured ghost, her mom obviously died, who warns her, beware of Crimson Peak. Yeah, we open on a narration from Mia Wasikowska, Edith. Yeah. And she's like, I know that ghosts are real. I've known this since my mother died. And like, there's this whole thing about how her father wouldn't let her see her mother because it was supposedly cholera. Yeah. And that she was all disfigured. I've got a theory about this, but yeah. Okay, I'm excited to hear it. So I always love it when I'm a sucker for for any sort of horror story or or um, horror film that starts like this with like a narration that says, um, you know, um, the things I've seen, they be <laughs> fucked up. And I know that I saw what I saw. Like, you know, I believe in this because Shit's of this. It's real and it sucks. And I'm going <laughs> to tell you why. Like, I, I'm such a sucker for that because I'm literally just like, oh, tell me more. Mm, Ooh. There's a reason why it works. It's been used. Edgar Allan Poe used it. Yeah. Um, so many other writers have used it. Um, Amelia Edwards. Mm-hmm. Like, all of yeah, these yeah. famous. It's, yeah. Horror writers. Mary Shelley uses it in Frankenstein. Exactly. The birth of the genre. Like, it's been in horror since the birth of the genre. And it still works. Oh, shit. That's why he uses it in here, because she's Mary Shelley. Yes. Duh. Yes. I just put that together, that that's why he uses the narration at the beginning and the end. Mm Mm-hmm. He's Um, so smart. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of different pieces in here that that refer to Mary Shelley. Yeah. I mean, it's literally named in there. Because they joke about her being Jane Austen, who died, uh, uh, what was it? She said, oh, but she died a spinster, didn't she? And she said, and then uh, Edith replies, I'd, I'd rather think of myself as Mary Shelley. Yeah. I'd like to be her because she died a widow. Yes. And there's also the part <laughs> where she asks to use her father's typewriter because her handwriting is too feminine. Exactly. So it's going to give yeah. her away, which is exactly what many female writers had to do back in the day. Correct. Um, but especially Mary Shelley, because everyone kept, you know, it's still disputed whether she wrote Frankenstein or not. It's so stupid that people dispute that. Which, shameless plug, on our TikTok, I've been doing some women in horror. The first one was Mary Shelley, and then I did Shirley Jackson. We've got some more coming, so check mm-hmm. those out. You'll learn hmm. all about them in, like, a minute to three minutes. It's great. So, anyway. So, Beware of Crimson Peak. That's the information we have. Yep. For me, that would be enough. But, eh, <laughs> you know, um, I also want to say that the showing this disfigured, like, black ghost in the beginning is the awesome. way it touches her face. And just like, I don't it's it's the design of this CGI ghost is amazing. Well, because it was done with motion capture. That's Doug Jones. Oh, really? Yeah. That's who Doug Jones plays. The, the, plays the ghost. So it's not CGI. It is. I was gonna say it looks like it's motion cap. It's CGI over motion capture. Oh, okay. So they use that's his hand that goes on her face. That's why you see like the tangent. That's how you get that tangible feel with CGI. It's how you weight CGI. If you just because if you, I'll get into it later. But yeah, I think I know. I I fully understand what you're saying though. Totally, but for the listeners, I'll do it later. Yeah. So now we're in 1901. Edith, who is now a Budding author. I thought we were done with the accent. I know, it's gotten bad. Um, we're in 1901. It's Linda Belcher now. I know, it's, it always goes to Linda. I could be doing a you Scottish accent like, and it will go to Linda. You're just going to always be Jersey Shore. I will always just go back to Linda. Anyhow. Um, we're in 1901. Edith, who is now a budding author, um, meets Sir Thomas Sharp. Um, an English baronet, which I just like saying that word. Yeah, baronet. I'm still trying to sort out what a baronet is, but continue. I have no I idea. I just keep thinking baroness. 
which is different yes, because that's I know. a that's a woman baron. Yes. Not a barren woman. Oh my god, it's all so confusing. Ugh, maybe we should do away with the with the the the, the, the aristocracy. I don't know. Maybe we and eat the rich. Anyhow, yeah, I'll slip that in there. Um, and we also meet his sister Lucille. Jessica Chastain in a terrible wig. Yes. Yes. So he's looking for some investors for this invention. It's like a digging machine. It's kind of like an oil rig, but it's for clay. Um, he believes it will revive this defunct clay mines of his family's estate. However, Mr. Cushing is like, no, 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 no. Um, have you tried it out full scale? You no? have a toy. Okay. You built a toy. You built a toy. Good job. Claps. Snaps. So, so he also. I mean, he also knows that he has failed to raise capital in the past. So he's like, no, Edinburgh, no, no, no. London, Milan. Milan. He's yeah. He's like he's like no. It's a hard no. So Thomas still charms Edith. Edith is like, no. She keeps saying no. She's like, I don't I don't want I'm a strong, independent woman, don't need no man. I, I would rather die a widow. I don't want anything to do with you. Unless you're planning on dying tomorrow. Yeah. And but despite her efforts to be like, no, sir, you cannot suck on these titties. Um <laughs> He perseveres, which is really annoying. Um, Nevertheless, he persisted. Yeah, it's really annoying, um, but it works, and they're romantically involved. Well, he's sweet about it. He does show no, up at her place. No, 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 hold on, no, hold no. on. I am going to say the thing. He shows up at her place in the middle of a rainstorm and demands she come with him, and then he makes her waltz with him even though she doesn't want to. I get it. You are falling for Tom Hiddleston. You are you are falling into that trap. I know if I am... It's... What's it? Uh, the Buscemi test, right? If it were Steve Buscemi, would it be hot? Or would it be creepy? <laughs> oh, I hate that. I do too. I love Steve Buscemi, and that's why it doesn't super work for me. But imagine just like your standard not-so-good-looking dude, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You're falling for the Tom Hiddleston and his voice. Of it all. His voice is at like a velvet to my ears. So. Yes, exactly. I, I literally listen to him read poetry. I know it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's. I have them all saved. Him and Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I love listening to Benny Who Cumbersnatch. Listen, just read some. <laughs> I can't. This this podcast is about to be rated X. Bindle bars Kerberbots. Anyway, Topher's um, had a stroke, so um, <laughs> this episode's canceled. So anyway, uh, Thomas requests that Lucille give him her ring, which is a family heirloom. It's a dope ring. It is pretty cool. It's like a big red. It's obviously it's a huge ruby. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's but the ornate like metalwork and everything. It's one of those older style engagement rings, not the little tiny ones that we give out these days. It's like a family ring that is your engagement ring, and I think it's amazing. And I would totally take that from Tom Hiddleston. I mean, yes. So she reluctantly hands it over and says, you better give it back. Oh, yeah. He's like, this is, we're, there's some like clever line in here. Um, it's the final thing we have to sell. She's like, we're not selling it. We're buying something with it. Yeah. Which I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so then Cushing is like, I don't like these sharps. I don't like them. I don't like... I don't like their vibe. I don't like I don't, this whole, like, vampire brother-sister deal. Right? Like, where did they come from? Yeah. Haven't seen the sun in where did they decades. Go? No. Where did they come from, Cotton Eye Joe? 
Isn't, wait, Edward Sharp is also a band, right? And the Magnetic Zeros, yeah, it's like a weird culty band. So, so her dad hates Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros like any good person. <laughs> yes, so uh, he hires a private detective because he's like, this music sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are they a cult? I can't tell. This is like giving me polyphonic spree vibes, but it sucks. They're doing yoga and they brought their goat. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean never getting through this plot. I don't I don't mean to demonize yoga. That's not I love yoga. I am a Pilates instructor. I'm gonna get through this plot. I am not trying to hate on anybody. Fifteen minutes into the movie. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) Not even we're like ten minutes into the movie. (laughs) I need a drink. So he hires a private detective named Mr. Holly. And he uncovers Guess what? Unsavory facts. Which is how I'm going to describe every single time that a fact is, like, not a good one. I'm going to say an unsavory fact. (laughs) That's, like, my new favorite way to describe things. It's just Uh. unsavory news. my favorite okay anyway but it's 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 about the siblings it's like you know he finds some 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 dirt so he digs up dirt he's like i i don't like giving bad news but when i do i do it personally correct so then mr cushing like you know any any good father would say um he he bribes them to leave america yeah three grand in 1901 dollars yeah bro and he says that thomas must break edith's heart so he in he he announces in front of everyone that they're leaving like without telling her, and then she rushes away because she's overcome with emotion. He follows her and like basically says that she sucks. And then the next day, Thomas returns Edith's manuscript with a letter that explains everything. So then they she, reconcile. He's like, your daddy's a little bitch, and he made me do this. I actually love your novel, and I love you, and I want to suck on them titties. She still's not allowed to. But uh, they do reconcile, and Edith is is gonna marry this uh, this uh, this con fella. artist, this fella, yeah, grifter, this, this grifter, and uh, nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Red flags just look like flags when you're wearing rose colored glasses, Edith. Amen. So then, the same day, like simultaneously, Mister uh, Cushing is. Very mysteriously uh, murdered. Brutally and mysteriously, I believe. Yeah, this is a great kill. Such a good kill. He's holding the razor. He drops it. So, so many misdirects. So you think it's going to be the razor. You see someone behind him in all black, and you're like, it's one of the it's one of the, 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 the siblings. It's one of Edward Sharp's magnetic zeros, yeah. Right? It's not the goat. And then... <laughs> So so he's he's picking up this razor that is dropped and um you just see a hand. We've or got a full like it will, and it's even better. We've got like a full sink, we've got a razor, we've got like showers, we've got all and the these different things running, like we've yeah, got a lot of there's, we've got options for the kill here, right? So what had happened was though, is he turns around, horror and sadness in his face is his head is grabbed and he's just very brutally smashed into oh, it's rough and then you get like the faucet still going but it's bloody and it's, yeah you get oh, like this god it's so good because it breaks the sink apart oh his, yeah he's face down but his face is you can tell it's mangled like it's done Ugh. it's oh what a horrible way to this is that's one of those things that del toro is just so good at we'll talk about that later but yeah 
Yeah, so then we've got um, Dr. Alan McMichael, who is, you know, Edith's, like, childhood friend. He's now a doctor, sort he's of He's an deal. ophthalmologist, yeah. They yeah. were. He's got an obsession with Sherlock Holmes. That's a nice little uh, plant payoff there. Yes, yes, that's, that's true. That's a very good plant to pay off. quite the detective, huh? No, I just like him because he's an ophthalmologist like me. So, our detective ophthalmologist is suspicious of all of these things. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. They're very suspicious. The sharps are so suspicious. Oh my God, yeah. Um, But then Edith refuses to let him investigate further. Is her like fifteenth mistake in this movie? Somehow I don't <laughs> feel bad for her. Like I, I don't know. I do and I don't. You know. She is young and naive and seems very sheltered, but at the same time, I'm like. Yeah, her dad keeps f- trying to force her to marry McMichael. Which it, honestly, he's an ophthalmologist. He could probably buy you some nice dinners. He could. You know, he's already taking care of your eyes. You wear those glasses all the time. Get them for free, girl. Oh, I'm sure she already does. I'm sure he's yeah, like, oh, it's, don't worry about it. He's got a terrible haircut, though. Glasses and He doesn't look like Tom Hiddleston. Nothing against Charlie Hunnam. An attractive man, for sure. He's not Tom Hiddleston. Give me that wave, baby. Okay, so after the funeral, Edith and Thomas are married and they leave for England. They get to Allerdale Hall, which is what the, you know, place is called. Mm -hmm. It's Um, the mansion. It's busted. It's awful. There's a giant hole in the roof that constantly lets snow in. Like, how is this not collapsed yet? Um, well, they t- they're like, it's literally it's sinking. sinking into the red clay, yeah. <laughs> so Lucille is super rude to Edith. She's fucking awful. And I must say that the marriage is unconsummated. As of yet, yeah, yeah. And then Lucille is kind of obsessed with this tea. She's always bringing Edith tea from Firethorn Berries. And, uh... We all know what that means. We've seen a horror film before. The tea is the poison. Hey. Spoilers. Sorry. If you couldn't call it, I don't know. Right. I, don't know yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to help exactly. you. Exactly. Someone who's mean to you and doesn't want you there gives you tea in the 1800s. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> read a fucking book. Read dude. a. <laughs> read a book. I know television hasn't been invented and like movies are not going to be a thing for another 20 years, but read a fucking book, Edith. I'm illiterate. <laughs> um. <laughs> She doesn't she, read books. She just she writes, writes them. them. <laughs> I don't. I don't read books. I just write them. Oh my god! Um, yikes! So Tom, is she an influencer? Hey, yes, probably. Yeah. You know. Oh, and then Thomas persuades her to um, get the first half of her late father's estate to continue construction on his mining machine. He's this, obsessed with this big toy. I was about to say men and their toys. Boys, boys and toys. It's like, toys. it's like if he had like a '78 Camaro, right? And he was just trying to. He's like, I just need a couple more parts to get it fixed up, baby. Just like uh, hit your dad for a little another check. So annoying. Yeah. So winter is here. Winter. She ain't has, coming. She's come. Winter has arrived. Ooh. Ooh. Um. And Thomas is mentions that the estate is referred to as Crimson Peak because of the that red clay. Like, are we in Georgia? Um. <laughs> Uh, so she's like, "What did you say?" Crimson Peak this is when she like fixes up his hand after he burns it on the machine. Correct. Then the siblings talk about how um, awful their childhood was. Basically, yeah. how Telling they have Edith, no yeah. money and their mother was distant and abusive. Yes. So 
and their father was a drunk and and uh, stepping out all the time and just spending all his money on sex workers and booze. Correct. And bad investments and yada, yada, yada. Classic British... Ruin the money. Yeah, classic like British nobility losing their money and only having a title. Yep. So, guess what's going on with Edith? She grows weak and begins to cough up blood. I grow weak. Edith, you're in danger, girl. <laughs> so she and she she also starts. Edith is also um, having these nightmares where she sees these skeletal red ghosts all around the um, the manor. The manor. I don't know what it's called. It's not a castle. It's a mansion. It's a mansion. Yeah, it's or a manse or a manor or whatever. So um, one big old of- house. So she gets tricked into opening a closet where she finds wax phonograph cylinders. So, and then like another chases her into the cellars. She, they're, they're basically scaring her into finding things so that she can save herself. Because she's a dumb bitch and she wouldn't be able to figure it out if the ghost of his ex-wife's head Yo, if I'm... <laughs> she's so stupid. She, it, like, She's where, so dumb. Well, I mean, I blame it on her being sheltered, I guess, because, like, if, if, if you had me walking into a place where you could see, like, red seeping through the snow, I'd be like, mm. and then it, if that weren't enough, walking into that mansion, and I get it that she's, you know, a million miles away from home, and, you know, left everything, doesn't really have anything to go back to, but, like, ma'am, I would figure that shit out. She is one Titanic from home. Yeah. That's it. Another tragic story. Eh. Anyway, um, Rose so, should have died. Leo should have lived. So we find they both lived. Leo dies in the Titanic. No, they both live. No. Did Leo- you see the final scene where they're in heaven together? They're alive. That's not living. Yes, it is. Do you see? They're back at their like most favorite day. So they're basically Here's the thriving. Thing. Here's the thing. I'm not. We're not talking about Here's Titanic. Here's the thing. Neither of them died. Why, who wants to listen to some old bitty talk about the poor dude she stooped 80 years ago? Me. So, sorry, 54 years ago. Me and like 50,000 She had a one-night stand 54 years ago, and it took four hours to tell that story. Yes. Because it was hot. Okay. And then she throws a, a jewel stolen from India into the ocean. Okay. This is not about the Titanic. Nothing should be about the Titanic. I Everyone hate, I in the tit- Titanic. That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? I I agree with you. Rose could have let Leo on onto that little raft thing that the door that she was on. Also, not a door. Debris. Oh my God. Okay. Do you? I hope the listeners know what I have to deal with all the time. This is a little peek into the behind the scenes of Horror Babes, where I yell about Titanic and how much I hate Jim Cameron. <sighs> For no reason whatsoever. I don't know why I'm spewing conspiracy theories that I don't actually believe about Titanic. I know the plot of Titanic. I'm just trying to be argumentative. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that's just where we are on this fine Saturday. Um, So she also finds, um, back to this movie, she also finds a locked trunk with Enola engraved on the latch. So basically we're finding all these, like... Red flags. Look at all these clues, Edith. Maybe they mean something. Maybe she should have read Sherlock Holmes. Maybe Edith is a dumb bitch who observed everything that happened to her. Oh, Edith. Oh, Edith. At this point, I'm rooting for the Sharps. Like, you know, it's more fun that way. Um, so 
Thomas takes Edith on an outing be- to the local post office. Oh my god! If you ever How took romantic. me, if you ever took me on it, let's go out. We're gonna go to the post office. I would be like, I'm. I want a divorce. <laughs> if that's your idea of fun in New York City. To take me to the local post office. Here's the thing. They're not in New York City. They're in a dilapidated manse, manor, mansion, big old house. And there's fuck all to do because it's 1901. He can't even afford a typewriter for her. Okay, literally, I know. I know that they, where they are and what's happening. But he could have, why do they have to go to the local post office he had to go pick some stuff up and she didn't want to be in the fucking house because the house oh, is fucking creepy so so he's gaining from this not her yeah you saw him get so excited about his parts he wants his parts he needs his tools my god men they will never change <laughs> um <laughs> at least we've made it to the mansion now hey, we're we've made it out of the mansion i'm, I'm, I'm happy we're only like we're at the hours. local post office <laughs> And they shut up. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, Not pretty much. Nightly and ever so rightly. Yeah. So Thomas and Edith, get they get snowed in. It's like the beginning of a porn. Um, and they make love. Make love. Gross. Uh, don't say that. I hate that phrase. Just they say they fucked. make love. No. He put it in her... He put his pee-pee in her poo-poo. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Yikes. He put his doohickey in her hoodle nanny. <laughs> okay. I do think that... He tommed her Hiddleston is what I'm trying to say. Listen. He meted her Wasikowska. Listen. I will never. <laughs> I actually... Okay. I think that the phrase make love here is actually kind of important because he like didn't actually love any of his other wives. He killed them and he actually loves her. Yes. And I, I, I this is the only time that she's clever. This is genuinely one of the few times that she's clever. I think it ha- there's a sequence here where she does a, the only smart thing she's ever done in her life. She wants him. She's into him. She. They keep getting interrupted by his sister, who will not leave them the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's like, well, we should leave soon so we don't get caught in the storm. She's like, why don't we just stay the night? And he's like hemming and hawing. And the dude's like, oh, we got a room downstairs. Yeah, you do. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry that this is so, like, blah, blah, blah. She's like, one, this is the only place I've been warm since I came to England. Two, you get to suck on these titties. And and he Mia's her Washakowska. He Jessica's her Chastain. No, Jessica Chastain isn't involved in this. Yeah, until... but uh, well, he Benny Who's her cumberspoots. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> sure. So... Then when they get back the next morning, Luc- after rhyming her Gosling, where where? Mm. Um, Lucille is unhinged. <laughs> her nerves. The only good acting from Jessica Chastain in this, by the way. Her this nerves the only- are shot. So she's making breakfast. She's Bernadetting the Peters out of herself. Okay, what? Um, I. Uh, anyway, so she literally throws this pan of, like, hot eggs at, um, Edith, being like, this is not a game! (laughs) You slept together? (laughs) We're married, bro, and then she's like, you think this is a game, isn't it? Oh, my God, uh, it's so... It's Unhinged? just, I just can't. I can't. I lost words just because I couldn't. <laughs> like, it's just, 
what the fuck stop yeah. care if you are his sister p- please care less about his dick yikes so then we find out that one of the keys that lucille carries she carries like a janitor's worth of keys yeah, which um, Edith has already asked her for, and she's like, "Nope, there's nope. dangerous parts of the house. You can't have these. Once you figured it out, then you're like, you, then you can ask me again." And he's which, like, "Okay, calm down." Well, which Edith just like walks away and smiles after that conversation. Yeah, and she's he, like, "Oh, this is a normal reaction to asking right. for keys to my fucking house." Yeah, like thinking that it was like a positive interaction, and I'm like, I would have hightailed it out of motherfucking town, getting off that crimson peak. I don't care if I have to sled down. <laughs> You know, give me give me the debris from the Titanic. Let me just like sled off of this. <laughs> she brings peak. it back, y'all. She brings it back. Full circle, baby. Um, so anyway, we've got one of the keys. We find out that it has the inscription Enola. And so Edith steals it. Um, and then she unlocks the trunk in the cellar. She finds a gramophone and she uses that to play all of those wax cylinders from the closet. And she also she did receive a letter from the post office, but it was addressed to T Sharp. E sharp. T sharp. E sharp. Whatever. It's it's addressed to E sharp because she's Edith and his ex wife is Anola, so they think it's Oh, it is E sharp, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Edward Sharp. So it's actually addressed to F? Tell me that's a good music joke. I'm confused. E sharp. There's no there's no E sharp, it's just F. Because E to F is a half step. I quit. Um <laughs> I quit everything, in fact. What if it was, would you like it if it was addressed to F flat? I'm retired. <laughs> I have retired with that. Like comment. that we switched the bit here that I used to quit every episode and now you're quitting every episode. You know, she has had it. Um, so she finds out that Thomas has been married to three other wealthy women. Ruh-roh. And we, one of them being Enola, Edith realizes that Lucille is poisoning her. Duh, bitch. It takes so, like, it takes literally a letter from his dead ex-wife to realize that she's poisoning her. And listen, she realizes that, that the siblings have engaged in a marriage and murder, which sounds like a really fun, like, party. Marriage and murder? Marriage and murder, baby. Let's do it. Let's all get married and kill each other. So they, it's like a scheme that they use just to uh, support themselves, getting yeah, the grifters, inheritance. But yeah, deadly. Very deadly. Serial, serial killing grifters. Lethal grifters. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Copyright. Don't steal it, bitch. <laughs> um, Isn't that just natural born killers? <laughs> whatever. So yeah, it, it, it all ties back to Thomas's need to get this invention off the ground. So, Thomas Sharp and his magnetic inventions. It's like fucking hell. Um, so Edith goes to confront him and um, Lucille, and she catches them in an incestuous embrace. It's a fucking hand job. Like he, she's giving him a hand job. Something's happening. Literally, that's what's happening. We see it happen. She's sitting there just jerking him off. I didn't look that closely. Well, I was watching because I wanted to see Tom Hiddleston. An incestuous embrace. What a An stupid. unsavory sight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Lucille pushes Edith from the balcony, trying to kill her, but she only breaks her leg. Oh, it's a good, like, oh God, I need to dive into this stuff in a minute. But like, yeah, I love that she's like... You aren't siblings. And again, Edith is dumb as shit. She is so stupid. You aren't siblings. And she's like, yes, we are. Push. <laughs> Who? Goodbye. 
Um, but then back in the U.S., Alan has learned what Mr. Cushing uncovered about the Sharps prior to his death. So Thomas's multiple marriages and Lucille's time in a mental institution is just too much for him. He says, I'm hopping on the next plane to Allerdale Hall in the dead of winter to rescue this bitch. Hey, babe. Planes weren't invented yet. Wait, how did he get there? Boat. You had to go on a boat? Okay, imagine it. 1912. Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Two brothers push each other off a cliff, but one of them flies! Planes weren't invented until, like, the, the like second decade of the of the 20th century. Okay, so he didn't hop on a plane to LAX <laughs> with a dream and a cardigan. He did not do that. I take it back. He went to... <laughs> there was no Heathrow yet. <laughs> what? Wild. Okay. Yeah, it, we went from inventing planes to landing on the moon in, like, 50 years. I honestly forgot that this was in the 1800s. So I'm it's 1901. sorry. It's 1901. I, you know, I forgot that this was in 1901, so I'm sorry. Well, apology is half-heartedly accepted. So he hopped on a horse and then hopped on a boat to LAX with a dream and a cardigan. And <laughs> Again, wrong direction. <laughs> boat to LA would be of no use in Buffalo, New York. There's not even a Panama. There's like not a, even a Panama Canal yet. Do you have to go above Canada? I just need you to learn some history. Just like one history. Learn <laughs> one history. A book, Open a book. Read a Open book, a you book, fucking Nicole. nerd. <laughs> Look, I know what I know. I get it. You're a Christian illiterate. It's fine. I never learned how to fucking read. <laughs> My name's Nicole. I'm 30 and I never fucking learned how to read. Oh, man. Will we I'm... ever finish this episode? Not not if I can't read. Um, wow, I am really painting myself as an idiot today. It's great. I'm, ha- I'm having a good time. You're doing time. a great job. I'm having it. a good time. Um, so I'm hot, gay, and illiterate. I don't know what to do here. You know, at least I have that. Um, so Alan arrives on his rowboat. <laughs> On his piece of debris. <laughs> He's got the front half of the Lusitania and the back half of the Titanic. <laughs> like little, little shoes. Oh, <laughs> uh, Topher just naming famously downed ships. Ooh. So <laughs> he arrives right on time because he finds Edith Cause is movies. injured. Because movies. You have to have, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief. Um... That he could get there that fast in a rowboat um, with no help. So he tries Emotion to take... Motion the ocean, baby. <laughs> Ooh. So he tries to take her back to um, the village, but Lucille is like, you're not taking her. Absolutely not. And he's like, she's anemic. She's anemic. I feel her, like that's the least she's of anemic. her worries. Her leg is baroque. Uh. Yeah, exactly. Like the first thing he says is she's anemic. And I'm like, I think that's the least of everyone's worries, right? This second. <laughs> get get these some spinach. I know it's not that easily fixed, but you know what I mean. I do. Um. So, but by now Thomas is like, has had it with his sister. He's like, he's like, I want not sister pussy. He's done. He's like, I've had sister pussy for like thirty years. And he's like, fallen in love with Edith. Yeah. Um. Because she's not his sister, but also has vagine. Yeah. So Lucille stabs Alan in the underarm. Ouch. Um, and then is like, Thomas, get your hands dirty. Do the job. Finish the job. You're a doctor. Tell me where. Yeah, in a very... It's a great moment. It really is. It's very smart, very clever. How was my Hiddleston, by the way? It was good. Thank you. 
you know, nobody is him, but, you know. Yeah, no, good. I mean, that voice. Oof. No, this is a very clever, very smart part where he's like, tell mm-hmm. me where. Because you think he's telling him how to make it quick, and he's saying, no, 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 no. He, uh, thank you God wanna... that Alan is the only smart person in this movie. Yeah, he wants a non-lethal spot. Yeah. So that's exactly what happens. It's in his stomach and then intends and goes and hides him. Lucille forces Edith to sign a transfer deed granting the Sharps ownership of her estate and proclaims she murdered Edith's father um, and also described how she killed her own mother once the sibling's sexual relationship was discovered. So here's a flaw in Lucille's plan, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, she can just, she doesn't have to have Edith sign it. No. Because it's 1901, counterfeiting is the easiest thing in the world. Forgery is the easiest thing in the world. Yes. So. Nobody has IDs to match it with. Right. Yeah. All she has to do is look at another signature and just copy it. I did it on, like, what tests I failed in middle school. I think she could do it. Yeah, I think so. So, there's that. Yeah. Two, even if she did have to have Edith's actual signature... How's she gonna force her to do it? She's like, I'm gonna kill. She says, I'll kill you. I will kill you when it, when you sign this. And she's like, that's not a that's not a good promise, right? No. Sign it and I'll let you live is a good promise, but I will kill you when you sign this is nothing. That is a good point. That is a valid. It's and a good hard point. sell. So, but what what happens is Edith stabs Lucille and attempts With to the pen her run father away. gave her. Yeah, what a good f- full circle moment for her dad. So many plant payoffs in this movie. Del Toro is so good at that. Yeah, agreed. It's very satisfying as a viewer. Um, so Thomas burns the transfers and begs his sister to leave the estate with him and start a new life with Edith. He says, we will all st- go. And she-, and she loses her fucking mind we? at that one word. So Lucille realizes that he wants Edith. Yeah, she is so so she's enraged and jealous. And she yeah, Thomas kills- quickly finds out that she did not mean the French version of we. Correct. She was not agreeing to this. No. <laughs> we. So she stabs him in the face, killing him, and then goes after Edith. And um, God, what a terrible way to die. So she goes ouch. to the maxillofacial bone, which yeah. is your cheekbones, of which Tom Hiddleston has very sharp ones. Yes. Um. That's why his last name is Sharp. Yep. Name for their cheekbones. But so when you go through there, what you end up hitting with this, depending on the angle of the stab, you can go up and it would hit the brain. It'd be a nice quick, like it would go through the ocular nerve. You'd go blind and it would probably kill you by going to your brain. If you go down, which we see that's the angle that she stabs him at is a downward angle. It's going to hit you in the soft palate. Now that's the top of your mouth, right? It is, yeah. And it's going to hit your esophagus. So you will drown, you will die by drowning on your own blood. That's insane. That is how that kill goes. And that's the clever brutality of Del Toro. No, this movie is definitely brutal with each and every kill, especially if you know something like that. He takes time in it. Yeah, every single one of them takes time. Yeah. I, I, ooh, getting stabbed, it, like, the Through soft, the maxillofacial into the soft palate. I can't. That's got to be awful. I mean, the soft palate is, like, is the part that raises when you yawn. It's, like, mm-hmm. and it's. You would literally drown to death on your own That's blood. That's crazy. So, um, and this part is also funny. When when Edith and uh, the Lucille... Sequence. Well, yeah, when Edith and Lucille are having it out, Lucille's like, I won't stop until I kill you or you kill me. And I'm like, duh. Like, that is literally how the movie's going to end, lady. Like, thank you for saying the silent part. <laughs> I feel like that was an ad lib from Jessica Chastain, and she thought it was so brilliant, and Del Toro made fun of her in the next line. It's like, I, 
When she said that, I just bust out laughing, and I was like, duh. No shit. That's how these things go. One of you must die. Maybe both of you, but one of you at least. There can only be one. It was so funny, though. But anyway, so then Edith is like, look behind you or whatever, and she sees- And Lucille's dumbass does it. Right. You're right. Nobody is very smart in this movie. Only Alan. Alan is the only smart person in the movie. Alan and his tugboat. <laughs> um, toot toot, bitch. Gotta come get my... Gotta slowly scoot. <laughs> gotta slowly scoot and get my woman. Uh, I'm on the way, Edie. It's not a, it may not be a white horse, but it is a dirty tugboat. <laughs> toot toot. Um, so, so Edith, you know whaps Lucille with a shovel. Oh, it's another very good, brutal kill here. Yeah, when she's turned around, she silently bids Thomas farewell before he just vanishes like the ghost that he is. Edith and Alan are rescued by the villagers where Lucille becomes the black ghost of Allerdale Hall, trapped in the mansion, playing piano for all eternity. And then we've got this wonderful passage from what we assume is Edith's new novel titled Crimson Peak based on her experiences, which I love this little, I love this little moment towards the end. What the passage says basically is that some ghosts are tied to places and then some ghosts are tied to emotions like love, Mm -hmm. um, hate, hate, like all these things. And those ghosts never go away where we've had a lot of stories where, your pro- your protagonist will help the ghost avenge their so they yeah, can leave yeah. their spirit can be free and whatnot. But um, I suppose what she's saying is if it's attached to an emotion, then that ghost is kind of damned forever and won't ever be free of those emotions. Yeah, yeah. You've got. I mean, there's lots of these, right? Like um, yeah. that was I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Casper. That's yeah. Other movies that I'm forgetting. Ghost. Ghost, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the movie Ghost. So I'm just going to dive right in and segue to how great his characters are in this. He, in everything. And how He's complex. so good at writing characters. Because take Lucille, for example. This character is massively complex. She's she, fantastic. She's so well written. She's terribly acted, but she's very well written. And I think the most fascinating thing about her is that her motivation is never fueled by hate it is fueled by her love and obsession for her brother and i think that yeah. is vastly interesting that's that's a razor's edge too yeah right where it it's maybe that's not even the right phrase for it what's the thing where it, it's so it's so much of a good thing that it becomes a bad thing yeah that i forget the word in english mm-hmm. but yeah that's exactly how i feel about lucille is that she is yeah there's it's her love for her brother and her brother's love for her is perverse, mm-hmm. right? And we see it as culturally and morally and like even like scientifically perverse, right? Yeah. That it flies in the face of some god or ideal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's that's I think it's so fascinating with her that she's not she's driven mad by love, but not so much by love, but by the protection of that love. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a clever twist. Yeah. On that, you know, that's that's the gothic aspect of it. I guess is that. You can look at love and you can say, "Oh, she like it's it's it, it's here's here's what I'm here's the thought I was trying to get to. She's not your typical f- uh, woman protagonist or like antagonist where it's literally love. It's the protection of the love. Yeah, 
hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I mean, I like all of the characters in this, even though they're almost all idiots. I like all of the characters. I think they're really, really. He's so good at character work. Yes. In everything that he does, like that was one of the things we praised most about Mimic was the character work. Mm-hmm. The characters were cool and interesting and made sense, and like everybody had a story. Yeah. And I think that's he has to write that way. I don't know that he writes that way, but he fucking has to write that way, right? That like he yeah. has a full biography of everybody he writes. Yes. Whether or not you see it, I, I do the same thing. Right. But yeah, I I think this is it's not his best movie, but it's solid. I can't believe it was so maligned. By the public, right? Like, it's got a 66 on Metacritic, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But, like, people didn't like this movie. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they they were... People, I think they were... They felt burned, in a way. They're like, Del Toro made a horror film. He's like, no, I made a gothic romance that is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... I could see how this movie would be a little bit tedious for some people to watch, especially with the context of what you said came out that year as well. Right. I could definitely see this as being a daunting thing to try to watch as opposed to the other like Goosebumps and... um, Bridge of Spies, which is, you know, like an action-y movie and The Martian, which is a very good movie, but had also the best PR team of any movie that year i think yeah i know I'm, I'm with you this is a really great movie really well done but it's not i mean it's not his best which is saying saying something because he is a really great fantastic he's a he's creator. a near no miss yeah I, he's up there like i put him in the same canon as like a bong joon ho or mm-hmm. a karen kusama where like there's movies of his i don't like as much as the others but it's all he's operating at a much fucking higher level yeah yeah absolutely and I think it's just his dedication to the craft. Like he, we talked about this in our mimic episode, but he started off in uh, special effects and makeup. Yes. So he came up. He he starts the movie with the visual, which is so interesting because his characters are so well written that it, you would think that it would just be like that. He would be like a Justin Lin, you know? Yeah. Where everything is like dope visuals, okay story, yeah. right? But this, he's he's so good in. The story and character work that I'm I'm shocked that he begins with the with the aesthetic. Yes, right. Agreed. Yeah. But to that point, thinking about like the aesthetic and everything, the kills. Can we talk about how wonderful, how well he does brutality just in general? Oh yeah, they're shocking in a way that in in a guttural way, in a way that I don't mean to react. It elicits a reaction from me. Yeah, they're felt too. Yeah. Like there's nothing a We've talked about this before with gore, right? That there's like, I don't know what it feels like to get my arm cut off, so it doesn't bother me. I know what it feels like to lose a fingernail, so it does. Yes, yes. He goes, and he does this in every movie. Uh, mimic aside, because that's a little different. Yeah. But every time every time I see him kill someone on screen, right, it's it's visceral. Yes. And, and it's, it's, it's a very mundane is the word that I'm going to use, and I think I'm going to have to explain that. Right, it's... um. They're not big kills, right? They're not your they're not your table saws, they're not your chains your chainsaws massacre. They they're, happen quickly. They happen quickly, but they're they're brutal. They're yeah. harsh. Mm-hmm. And they're they're like pedestrian. Like they're they're how kills actually happen, I think is what it is. Yeah. They're not clever or creative in like a final destination way. Right. Or like we talked about freaky. They're not a slasher type kill where you have to kind of ramp it up every single time. Yeah. 
he earns them so well that when they happen, he's able to sort of live in that moment. Agreed. Right? Yeah. They're fast, but they're felt, and you and you feel them. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. You 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 feel them emotionally. There's a weight to them, and there's a there's a weight to how he films them mm-hmm. as well. I, he's just got an eye for that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, that's something I just I, you don't see it a lot, right? Yeah, it's a very he, he has very nuanced kills. They're yeah, to the point. yeah. Yeah. Game of Thrones was like that too. Yep. You know where it was You're like this person's going to die, get over it. Yeah, and it was even the like it, it, I'm talking about like the gravity of it, right? Like yeah. that that's something that's so hard to do well without sort of like reveling in the gore. Yes. And they are gory, but they're not reveling in the gore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's just it's there's something so grounded about his filmmaking, which is so funny because he he specializes in fairy tales. Yeah, really fucked up fairy tales, but fairy <laughs> tales nonetheless, right? Mimic is a fairy tale, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously Pan's Labyrinth is, aka El Labyrinto del Fauno. Yeah, he and he he's talked about like he's talked so much about this movie because he was asked so much about this movie. It was a big deal, but you know, he there's a quote here. Uh, I'll, I'll put the the link in the footnotes to the interview. It's actually it's really good, but what he said was quote, but basically what it is is a really really almost classical gothic romance ghost story. But then it has two or three scenes that are really really disturbing in a very very modern way. Very very disturbing. It's a proper R rating and it's adult. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like we, you and I were talking, but like it is. We said this up top that he does this like fairy tale. He does this uh, magical realism, but then. He makes it so that you, like you said, it's like you've graduated. Yeah. He's who you graduate to. And so, like I said, I put him in the same class as Bong Joon-ho. They're very similar filmmakers to me. Yeah. And I, I think Kusama's in this, like those three in particular, like Edgar Wright's not in that same sort of, he's, he's very different than them. Yeah. And like Wright and Raimi are, went to the same school. Del Toro, Bong Joon-ho, Karen Kusama, I think all live in this sort of same world well and all three of them really utilize and are very good at color theory god the color theory of this movie i don't talk about color theory much on this podcast but it's very important like telling a using a color story for a film yeah i mean especially when one of the words in the title is a color yeah yeah (laughs) and that's that's not used that much yeah. You only it's only on the grounds and it's it's like once you get to the mansion, yes, you start seeing crimson in particular a lot more and crimson is often the the color that we use to describe blood. Yeah. But it's this beautiful like so for the listeners who don't know, uh I am colorblind. Uh it's a big problem for me as a director. It's why I'm not a DP. Uh, I can't see the color green that good. It's bad. It's annoying. <laughs> Which affects basically every other color as well, but I did. I had to ask you, but I was like, "Isn't his uh, the the velvet suit he wears that uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston wears in the beginning?" Yeah, it's a green. It's a dark green velvet suit, right? Yeah. And I was like, "I think that's not black." <laughs> right. But we have Mia Wasikowska and a lot of these beautiful golden yellows, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like a color I would call golden rod because it's dusty. Yeah. And I think that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it absolutely is on purpose. But it's very bright, very, very bright blues, but dull, dark reds. Yeah. Dark. He like he crushes the darker colors and pops the brighter colors. Yes. Which is up to the DP to do. And that's very well done. Like that's what this is where Lost and really shines in this movie is 
that it's in the color theory, which him and Del Toro had to have would have absolutely worked on together extensively to create that story. Yes. And it, it changes how you see the film, how you feel about the film. Um, it takes it away from the ground. Like it, it contrasts the groundedness of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So you, when you have these big, bright colors and crushed, like in, in editing, like when you edit like a, a, f- a photo or something like that, you call it crushing your blacks and popping your whites, mm-hmm. which helps give you dynamic range in your shot and which then gives you contrast in different ways. And like it, it helps deepen, it, it helps the depth of the shot essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Cause we're looking at this as a 2d, uh, medium, right? So you have to, even though you know that they're acting in a in a three D space, because we don't live in two D. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what ha- that's what we see here, right? Yeah, and I think that's so brilliantly done. I I just I was gushing over the color story last night because it's so it, it's so anti what the rest of the films that year were. Yeah, we were still deeply in the cyan orange mm-hmm. uh, scale at that time, mm-hmm. which we're finally coming out of. Thank God. But, like, I'm thinking about The Martian specifically. Mar- the Martian's a very flat movie in terms of the color theory. Mm-hmm. To the point that I don't really think there is one. Right. It, it, it kind of is just because, like, oh, Mars is red, so we're going to go deep into the orange scale. Sure. But that's a little bit... That's It's one, obvious, two, boring, and three, correct. Yeah. To do that, but it's mm-hmm. a very boring colored movie. Even on Earth, it looks gross in a way. Yeah. And I think that's on purpose. I, I'd have to go back and reanalyze that movie, but it's I, I don't like it. Yeah. Because it's a boring color palette to me. It's a boring choice. Even if it's the right choice, it's a boring one. Right. Del Toro, Mimic aside, because Mimic is so fucking dark, you can barely see anything in it. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking particularly Pan's Labyrinth. It's a bright, beautiful, colorful movie. Pacific Rim, bright, beautiful, colorful. This is the same way. Shape of Water was like that, too, yeah. although it was a bit of a departure for him. Because the lighting was... It was a totally different type of lighting that he used in that. Even though, again, same cinematographer. It's a different type of lighting that he used there. Um, Which, it's... That's something I don't think people totally know. That the director of photography's biggest job is lighting a shot. Yeah. It's not operating a camera. It's where do the lights go. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think it was really, really well done here. It's... I, I can't say enough about the technical aspects of this. Yeah. It's beautiful. And there are some... It's interesting because he uses very um, basic cuts, basic transitions. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, yeah, I was I was noticing those too. But they're, yet the they're shots, ugly. but yet the shots are very advanced. Yeah. So it's I don't know. It's interesting that he kind of mixes those two things up, and then yeah, like you said, the color theory is amazing. It's very vibrant, and which we don't always see with horror films. Horror films like to give you that dread and that doom and gloom, and the lighting always really helps with that. Yeah. Um, so it's fun and interesting to see, again, with like magical realism, the not only are the characters and the story elevated, the colors are also elevated. Yeah, which is weird because like I, 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 I'm thinking about the, the directors that we've named so far in this episode, and they're mm-hmm. all very good at color theory. Yeah. Kusama might be the best of them with it. Mm-hmm. She, it's her or Del Toro. Yeah. That are the, like, I'm thinking specifically about the invitation and Jennifer's body. Mm-hmm. The color theory in those is, I didn't talk about those when we covered those, but fuck, those are gorgeous movies for color. 
and, and completely different. And then Parasite for Bong Joon-ho is an amazing God, yeah, yeah. example of color theory. But then like Sam Raimi with any of his movies, all of his movies are super bright. Mm-hmm. They're really, really bright, which yeah. is he's daring you to be scared in the in, in the, the light. light. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it, no it's, it's a flex. It's a flex. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally with Edgar Wright, with it's the color, uh, the Cornetto trilogy, right? Shaun yeah. of the Dead is red. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hot Fuzz is green and world's end is blue yeah and i think that that's like those are all those it's real it's they these folks fucking call their shots and they knock it out of the park every time i love it it's it's fun to watch it's and it's just fun to see someone who's such a master of their craft who's who loves the craft right Mm -hmm. um it always 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 is fun to see that with just how much they care yeah which makes it interesting that I that I hate this cast, but I love this movie. Yeah, I, I Edelson and Hunnam, I like in their roles. They're very yeah. good. The men are very good. The women, I don't like, and I don't know why. I would have, yeah, I probably would have cast it a little bit different. I, I, I don't share Sharonin. I'm saying for uh, for Edith, yeah, yeah. Um, Catherine Hahn for Lucille. Fuck it. Hey, um, let's fucking go. I love Catherine Hahn. She is so good at being arch. She can play whatever she wants. Yeah. But I, I mean, like, again, Bryce Dallas Howard would have been my pick. Yeah. If you're going to go with, like, the very pale, round face, red hair that you're going to put under a bad black wig, <laughs> that's who you, that's who I, she's a better actor. Like, I'm not trying to be mean to Jessica Chastain. She makes way more money than I do and will never listen to this. But I don't like her in dramatic roles. I th- only find her engaging in comedies. Right. Like, it's a Julia Roberts type, right? That's fair. That she's only—I only think she li- she only knows how to work well in the comedic space. Right. I, and again, I think she's one—I think she's won a fucking Oscar for a dramatic role. Zero Dark Thirty, maybe. I don't know. I, I could look it up, but I don't care. Um, so again, this is one of those things where I am fully convinced of my belief, and I know I'm wrong. Right, and I mean that's what—that's a—that's an opinion right there, you know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, my, kind of my closing statements on this movie is, you know, the the character development is amazing. Mm-hmm. The he did a really great job of writing well-rounded, complex characters. We know a lot about Edith. We know about her desires, her dreams, her hopes. We know about her father and her mother. We, know, mm-hmm. you know, and then we learn. She has a job. Yeah, and then we learn about Lucille. Yeah. And so and then and then the men are also very strongly um, characterized as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we've got this really awesome, whimsical, terrifying, um, reminiscent of creepy fairy tale plot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the plots like not overcomplicated. It's pretty straightforward. It's not basic, I wouldn't say, but it is classic. Yeah. Yeah. You've got it's easy to follow. But yet, like, you kind of know what's going to happen, but you're still excited to see how it happens. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's it, technically it's executed very well. Again, it's not his best in either of our opinions, but it's still really fucking good. Like, I'll rewatch watch this multiple times. This would is going to go on the list for a time to come. Yeah, like, would definitely watch again because it's very fun. Um, and I would love to watch it again, just kind of already knowing how things play out and see what else we would catch, you know? Absolutely. Because I want to go back and look with the 
influences that he stated yeah. or that he that he cited in mind. You know, I want to go back and look for references to the haunting or the innocence or the omen or the exorcist or the shining, you know? Yes. Cuz he was he specifically said the shining because he was like that's the Mount Everest. That is a Mount Everest of uh, the haunted house movie. Yeah, I would and I would agree. Yeah. Um, fully agreed. No notes, except that Stanley Kubrick's an awful or was an awful person, but yes. <laughs> but a fantastic director. I was just listening to another podcast um, talking about 2001: A Space Odyssey, and I have to go watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I it's yeah, it's just fucking good. I I can't say enough good things about it. Even yeah. though I it, it's and it's so funny. This is one of those movies I don't like. This cast, I think the cast is bad and they act it bad, but I still love it. They're very good at being bad. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, and I would definitely recommend this for you know if you have a friend who is hesitant about horror, but they kind of enjoy they enjoy like the Jane Austen kind of like the period pieces. Mm-hmm. They enjoy Pride and Prejudice and that sort of. Um, Me. situation, but and maybe they also enjoy um, um, Tim Burton because it's like creepy but not too intense. I would say this would be a really good like next step up to intro- try to introduce them to horror if they're not into you know like the really intense jump scares and and you know all the things that horror is known for for freaking people out in that yeah way. there's no jump scares yeah um this is everything is he telegraphs his shots in a certain way yeah um that i've always loved he telegraphs kills and he telegraphs shots like he tells you what he's doing while he does it yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's a it's explaining without being boring 100 percent. yeah yeah i so i think that i think that'll do us that'll right? wrap us up yeah that'll wrap us up so just in case you guys aren't following us already, we're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod, and we've got a little website, horrorbabespod.com. If you're enjoying listening to us, please give us a rating or a, or a review over on iTunes. And thank you so much for tuning in to Ghost Stories Month. We'll be back next week with another little ghost story. Cha-cha. So until then, bye, bye babes. Yeah, babe.